0: Get rejuvenated with kings and queens. What I'm trying to tell you is evident is black excellence in the building. The betterment for all men, women, and the children. I was elected to respect you and how you feel it. Now sit back and take notes, etiquette and posture, determination, education. You know that they watch is it. It's dedication, elevation. So how can they top it? We unite across the nation. So how can they stop How can they stop Get rejuvenated with the kings. 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 Good morning, good morning, good morning,
1: you guys. We all way here in Moss Point, Mississippi, the River City. I am super excited today. We got a guest on the show that I look up to. I think a lot of people know who this is, but it is Dr. Eddie Glaude. He's from Moss Point, Mississippi. We produce some of the most outstanding athletes, but really some of the most outstanding people in academia that I don't think a lot of people really know about. Exactly. So today, we're gonna talk with Dr. Eddie Glaude about some of the things that he does, one of the things I really want him to talk about today is the the is the wealth gap, the the value gap, mm-hmm. some of the things that you've talked about all across the country. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Kind of what happened? How how have you became Dr. Eddie Glaude, this world-renowned, amazing person?
0: Well, uh, you know, it's it's um it's it's grace first of all. It's a blessing, um, uh, to, to make the journey from Moss Point to, to Princeton. Um, it has a lot to do with uh, my family. It has a lot to do with my father and my mother, uh, emphasizing education uh, as the key uh, to success, uh, teaching me that excellence wasn't a gift but a practice. Right, it's just not something that you, someone gives to you. It's something that you earn, uh, something that you do and you make. Um, so you know, it was leaving Moss Point and going to Morehouse uh, in Atlanta uh, and finding uh, an intellectual voice. Uh, uh, in Atlanta, wanting to, uh, to, to, to uh, spend my life doing what I love doing most. And that's read, write, and run my mouth. Um, So, that's always good. Yeah. So, you know, it was uh, kind of moving from Moss Point to Morehouse and kind of uh, developing and cultivating my love for reading and love of ideas and then finding myself in this space where uh, I met Cornell West and, uh, and Cornell just blew my mind, and he was attracted to me as a student, potential student. And so he asked me to come study with him at Princeton, and nothing's been the same since. So I've lived a charmed life, you know, for for, for, for Country War from Lost Point, Mississippi.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, i tell you, I, I, one of the funniest things about your, your history is that your family was one of the first families that ever had a side-by-side refrigerator door. <laughs> learned, so that that's some old history, but... Look, look, a lot of people talk about running their mouth, and a lot of people run their mouth but really don't have a lot to say. Right. But when you talk, you you, you have an audience attention. And I, I've seen a lot of the things you've done on YouTube. I've seen it on just different and – I've seen it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you talk about when you talk about the value gap, how we value people and, mm-hmm. and those types of things, you're talking to a group of people that – that really needs to understand, and you, you have no fear. You're unapologetically yourself, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of history to back up what you talk about. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Right, so, you know, I wrote in my book, Democracy in Black, how race uh, still enslaves the American soul. Um, what I wanted to do was to kind of get at the heart of what I think, you know, confounds the nation. Um, and we talk about, you know, uh, the education gap, the wealth gap, the empathy gap, when we talk about race, but I think there's something fundamental underneath all of that, and that's the value gap. That is to say, in this country, white people are valued more than others. And to the extent to which that's true, no matter what the inputs are, the outputs will be the same, right? Because if there is this kind of valuation that's happening, that a black child, isn't his life or her life isn't worth as much as a... As a white child's life, if it's the case that a white neighborhood is valued more than where Black folk live, if it's the case that um, you know uh, the, the the intellectual capacity of a human being is given mm-hmm. more weight because they happen to be white than than uh, than than they are of a different color, no matter no matter what we say we're committed to, the value gap will undermine democracy. And what happens is that the value gap isn't just simply the possession, Mario, of of, of loud racists, because that's too easy. That's too melodramatic. Mm-hmm. We're looking for mm-hmm. folk who are running around with, with, with white sheets on and the like. And, and, and it's, it's not really that that's the problem. So the value gap evidences itself in habits. It's even evidenced, Mario, in the way in which space is organized. So I tell my students all the time, we learn the value gap just by simply driving around Princeton. You can learn it by driving around Moss Point. Absolutely. You can drive just moving past Point. Once you move from a certain area of the city into another part, Pascagoula, suddenly you see something. It changes. Mm-hmm. It flips. You move from one, sort of, one part of Moss Point to another part of Moss Point, and then suddenly the space shifts in the light. You could drive from Princeton and suddenly you're in Trenton or you can drive down Witherspoon Street in Princeton and suddenly you're in an area where all the folk who clean, the, clean up the throw up of the kids on Friday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Princeton, that's where they live and the space changes. So it's not about loud races; it's about how we are, we are habituated. To, to learn the value gap oh, yeah. in the way in which we move about space.
1: It, this guy Dr. Darren Smith, he talks a lot about the value gap too in different ways. He talks about just exactly what you say, how, you know, we habituate those things. He said that in order for black people to actually be successful and other races, we're gonna have to unlearn the behaviors that we grew up with. Mm. And I'll tell you one of the things that I that, that stuck out to me is education. That is the most clear way to me to see that there's a huge gap a huge gap right there so let's talk a little bit about education a little bit so when we look at just in mississippi and we can talk about the mississippi delta mississippi Gulf coast and we can talk about the 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 south just the south mississippi region compared to the mississippi delta and then you look at the statistics on the race statistics when it comes down to the communities in mississippi so harrison hancock Jackson versus Sunflower County. Mm-hmm. Those counties in the Mississippi Delta. Well, when I think about those counties, I, I tell people all the time, we have all the success in Hancock, Harrison, and Jackson County, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And then they compare us to the Delta, where there's uh, that whole county is 80% African American. So those two counties are just completely, they, those those four counties, when you look at the Delta and the Mississippi Gulf Coast, completely different and the gains and mm-hmm. the knowledge and the access. But then you pull out a city like Moss Point, out of Hancock County, which is on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, or Gulfport, and the statistics are the same as the ones in Mississippi Delta. So how do we really, I don't really know how we disseminate information to people to get them to understand that. We all stick with this, fully funded public education, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And then when it comes down to looking at not just fully funded education, but we talk about um, wage gaps and jobs, what does that really mean? Pushing blue collar on our children That's other right. than not educating our children. Right. So there's a lot of things, I think, that kind of contribute to the value gap. And then really the number one that we I really want to talk about with you, because I know you are very clear on this, is, is voting against our own interests. What, mm-hmm. When you really don't know, you really don't even understand. They always say you don't know what you don't know. But I think the most important thing is, is, is how do we disseminate this information? You talk all across the country. How do you get people to understand where you're coming from, get white people to understand their privilege, and get black people to understand that they're not privileged no matter w- where you are?
0: Right. So, I mean, the first thing, we, you know, the easy way to answer that question is, and it's not so easy, is to just simply tell the truth. Right. Oftentimes we find (laughs) ourselves in this dance, right? We're so worried about offending people. We're so worried about uh, being called a racist. We're so worried about uh, triggering racist behavior. See, the thing is, is that all of this stuff uh, is generational. Um, We know what happens when white people are angry. We know what white rage can generate. We're from Mississippi.
1: Absolutely. We
0: understand the people who are at the bottom of the Mississippi River. We We know what that that means. So there's a way in which we don't want to trigger that rage. And then there's a way in which uh, you know, folks hold certain beliefs and they don't want to be called a racist. And so what you get when you have that kind of dynamic is just simply folk engaging each other in bad faith. They're not telling each other the truth. Both sides are wearing the mask. I don't want to offend and I don't want to be offended. Right, so, so these sorts of things. And so you can't really get at what's happening at the heart of the country because we're all living a lie. We're living in an illusion. And so, the way in which you pierce that is almost like Eugene O'Neill's Iceman Cometh, right? You have to just simply come in and disrupt folks sitting at the bar, Yeah. right? So you have to tell <laughs> the truth in that moment and understand People that don't gonna, want to hear the truth, though. Yeah, but understand that it's going it's it's to um, require some courage and it's going to require you being tough-skinned uh, to be out there and to say it in love, not in hate or mm-hmm. anger, but to say it in love. So the thing about education is clear. America has never committed itself to educating all of its children, ever. And I'm just not talking about black and brown kids. I'm talking about poor white kids. It's never committed itself to educating all of its children. And ever since Brown v. Board of Education in 1954, right, there's a parallel effort. So when we look at all of the private schools, when we look at parochial education in the South in particular, we know when, they were, when most of these schools were founded. Mm-hmm. Most of the schools were founded Right after the Brown v. Board of decision, Brown v. Board of Education decision, and right after Absolutely. Brown v. Board too, right. and all of that, those resources left those public schools and moved into these private parochial schools, and what happens is, is very clear: you get these segregated school districts, you get teachers, particularly in place states like Mississippi, that aren't making enough money to, to, to in some ways sustain. Uh, 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 their own households mm-hmm. uh, we see the turnover rates in our particular school districts uh, particularly in particularly in urban areas we don't see teachers teaching in those districts long enough uh, they, they we will find I was on the National Board of Teach for America uh, we are sending oh, so in, you know Michelle Reed oh of course so He's, you know I
1: work for her I didn't I did not so know I was that. a lobbyist for students first so education is is like my that that's my that's why I love it so I work for Michelle and Kevin um, so he was Mayor Johnson then, but I worked for them for a long time.
0: Yeah, and you know, so I was on the board with Wendy Kopp, and we were, I was on the board with Larry Summers and some other folks as we were trying to figure out what Teach for America was doing, what's his mission, and then we realized, as I realized at least, I was on the board with another fellow by the name of Anthony Marks, who was the president of Amherst, who then went on to be the head of uh, New York Public Libraries, and uh, we were watching it, and we were like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. Something is not right here. Mm-hmm. What's the value add? What what are we doing with regards to teachers? How are we approaching this thing? And so, coming at it from a variety of different angles, what I've noticed is that you know uh, there's not a substantive uh, and 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 symbolic investment in the education of our children. Um, and so, what we do is we track them. So we talk about you know public school from pr- you know school to prison pipeline. We talk about yeah. um, the way in which not only are we tracking folk to 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 the you know prison industrial complex, we're tracking them into a certain segment of the economy, a certain sector of the economy. Yes, I see
1: it all day here. Yeah. I see it all day.
0: As if the goal of Moss Point is to produce the labor force for Engel Shipyard.
1: That ain't cool. So look, let me tell you. (laughs) Look, let me tell you. So I fight this every day, and and, and I'll tell you this again. We're telling our children you can make $70,000 if you just go through this program, apprenticeship program. We're not telling them what they're going to be doing. We're just telling them they're going to make $70,000. We're not going to tell them they're going to be on their hands and knees every day. They're going to have bad knees, bad ha- hands, and exposed to all kinds of stuff, and mm-hmm. quality of life decrease every day they're there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also, we're, not, we're t- then we go back and tell our children, oh, you don't want to go to college. You're going to be in debt. You're not going to be able to get a job. Like, when you go to college, your work's supposed to stop when you graduate. You still got to grind. Right. You still got to get out there and try to make it. Right. But I think, I think in our education system, they have these large corporations. And look, I'm, I believe that there are people that need to do those jobs. I get it. But there are also people that need to build the robots and actually come up with the technology that's doing it. There, there's a gap there within itself. And I'm like, well, the next generation is going to do that. So we're supposed to wait for my three-year-old daughter to graduate from high school and be an IT person and go ahead and build a labor for us, for us, for painters and welders, and not educate those kids. And then I'll tell you, there's so many, there's so much talk right now about like charter schools, vouchers, um, all these different uh, privatization bills. Some of them are privatization, some of them are not. Um, th- these accountability bills. And and look, you know, I. Like I said, I worked for Students First. I lobbied education a long time, and that's really when I got into politics because I saw the disparities in education across the country. is not unique no. to America. <laughs> this happens, like I said, Gulfport is right there, which is up the street. Nobody talks about Gulfport because they have a casino, so it's assumed that they have a lot of money because they have a, good ch- a, a, a nice, beautiful building for the, full of children that can't learn. Because they don't have good teachers. You know, the whole state this year lacked um, recruiting teachers. We have – so you have substitute teachers sitting in. They call them temporary teachers without license. So they're putting them in programs while they're going ahead and giving them a temporary teacher's license. I think that is
0: complete foolery. It's it's terrible. It's foolery. but It's it's ridiculous on so many different levels. But, look, what we know is that in spite of all of the the obstacles, Moss Point has produced – uh, an extraordinary group of folk um, uh, who are, who are out here trying to transform the world. I was I was talking to one of your colleagues just on my block alone, just my block alone in Briarwood Circle. Right. You know, you had the speechwriter for Condoleezza Rice. You have Daria Rothmeyer, who is an endowed professor at U- University of Southern California Law School. You have me, an endowed professor at Princeton. Right. This is not. Someone playing for the Phoenix Suns or someone playing for the Washington Redskins or someone playing, you know, but sh- just playing in that the Power circle, you have that tail. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm just saying, so in that, in so we tend to highlight the fact that I remember Bear Bryant walking into our cafeteria recruiting, from, recruiting one of our basketball, I mean, football players. Um, we were known, right, when, back in the day when I was in high school as this football powerhouse, right, the Wansley Brothers coming through Moss Point. All of them went to the NFL, it seemed like. Uh, from George to Nathan, and even before George, right? Um, But there are these folks out here who are uh, literally, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're they're PhDs, and they came through Moss Point High School, Yes. and they came through, you know, uh, they they encounter teachers who who, uh, saw something in them, who demanded more of them. They went on uh, to college, they might not have had the skill set that they should have had, like myself, going into college. But we had the grind, the grit, we had the native capacity in order to learn, and somebody invested in us. Moss Point should be invested, and I say this to you as the mayor, we should have a state of the art school, high school, right there. Absolutely. So, that we, so when students walk into the building, the physical space, it affirms their intellectual capacity, right? And I tell you, man, it seems to me, uh, as a child of this place, um, Moss Point is the foundation, Right, it is the source of my grit. It is the source of my, uh, my, 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 my. How can I put it? My resilience. Mm-hmm. Right. It. It is. It is at the heart of, of, of that which motivates me to, to achieve excellence every day. Perseverance, I, always. You know.
1: Per, I'm gonna tell you something that I, I I talk about this all the time. There's so much adversity that we experience living in Moss Point. But not directly from being in this household, because there are people who have great families, great home lives. But just living in Mississippi, there's an adversity there, being growing up in this place in this state, that you have to persevere through. So I tell people when the the thing about Moss Point is, and in places like Moss Point, across the country, you can't compete with us. Rather, we get a degree from Southern Miss versus a degree from Princeton, Harvard, when you get the, the work ethic and the passion, and like you said, you like to run your mouth, you found a way to hone in on your gift and make it great yeah. and and be able to share it with everybody else. And now everybody wants to be Dr. Eddie Glaude. Nobody gets, nobody understands that you can't compete with it. I, I tell people this, you cannot compete with someone from Moss Point once they have, Caught up with you.
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, look, my mother used to pay me to be quiet when I was little. <laughs> she said, you talk too much, huh? And she he, used to give me money just to be quiet. Here's a quarter. Go to And quarter. now I get paid to speak. That's right. So I get paid to run my mouth. So look, I think the main thing is this. You know, the key battleground for me, it's not the battleground, but the key battleground is the imagination. The world conspires to make us small the world conspires to make you small. And the question you have to ask yourself is, will you be complicit? Will you be complicit in the effort of the world to make you small? So Moss Point can be seen as this small river city in in Mississippi, and people can approach this place as if it's just this little tiny town that doesn't speak much, that doesn't have much, um, that doesn't offer much. And when we we behave that way, we're actually complicit in an attempt to shrink our imaginations about who we are. One of the most beautiful things my father did for me, uh, as as torturous as our relationship might have been, but one of the most beautiful things, gifts he gave me, was to force me to see myself in expansive terms. Mm -hmm. He says, your life is so much bigger than anything you see around you. Now step into it. Or when I'm a grown man and my life was shifting in a way before MSNBC, I'm between Tavis Smiley and before MSNBC, he said, oh, you done picked one star out of the sky. Now that's all you got to do is pick another one. Right? So he was insisting on a certain self-imagining. What is your self-conception as an individual? How do you see you? And then how does that vision evidence itself in the way in which you walk through space and time? right and it seems to me and you know I always tell my students this Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson says God speaks to us through our imaginations mm-hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful line and then I say to my students if that's true then what is the devil doing so the idea is to attack the imagination to get you to see that you can't see beyond what's happening right in front of your nose that nothing else can happen that's all we got is what he is right when the basis of brilliance and excellence is what is possible. Right? Once you understand, you're constantly asking yourself the question: what's next? What's possible? Right? And I think when a student walks into my classroom, or when a student walks into Moss Point High School, what they need to be inculcated with, what needs to be planted in their spirit, mm. is the question: what's next for me? What's possible? And then to see themselves as transforming agents in the world right so I came out of Moss Point I was the first black elected youth governor in the state of Mississippi YMCA youth legislature the entire state voted me the youth governor of Mississippi and then on the cover of the clarion ledger was my photo saying (laughs) Mississippi youth ahead of the folk right I had one my and buses came down remember when we were driving in from Jackson and the buses turned on their lights to let everybody know that this black youth governor was from Moss Point, right,
1: from here. And you still remember
0: that. Oh, absolutely. You can can envision it.
1: Absolutely. And we got to create those visions for our children now
0: because we're not. I went to the 1984 Democratic Convention in San Francisco. Didn't have the money. My daddy said, you can go if you want to. I went out and hustled, raised the money. Dorothy Miles... The late Dorothy Miles made it possible. Got me credentials. I'm in. I'm at the Black National. I'm at the Congressional Black Caucus uh, event a couple of months ago. Benny Thompson come walking through. <laughs> I see Benny.
1: Absolutely good and, guy.
0: And he grabs me and he said, "I said you remember when we went?" He said, "Of course I." Remember. His chief of staff, Lonnie King, took me around in San Francisco when. Uh, Mario Cuomo gave the tale of two cities speeches when Jesse Jackson in 84 ran Jesse I was in an elevator I'm from Moss Point man Jesse Jackson walks into the elevator sees me grabs my hand and tells me to keep growing keep struggling I just wrote the afterward to Jesse's new book that's coming out I'm from Moss Point mm-hmm. value you see? you see what I mean <laughs> yeah Patrick late raised the money a, a state rep from our district, found the money to get me to go. Right? White guy. So part of what I'm saying, man, is that I had folks in Moss Point. I get so passionate about it because I had folks in Moss Point, right? Allowing me to dream big.
1: And so look, let me tell you, you, you mentioned something. You said you said what your daddy told you that you, you got to make it big, expand yourself. Right. That was reinforced at my house too, but I'm going to tell you something. When I went to school, my teachers like Sandra Boone, Lena Sanders, Edna Pearman, those people reinforced that for me every day was to dream bigger. You can have more. Those people have supported me so much. Mm-hmm. And so we think about, you talk about Teach for America, and one of the things Teach for America does, let, let's recap all the way back to education. So, sure. all right, people, we're talking about, let's talk about education. We're talking about K-12. The first thing we want to say is we address education K-12, Let's teacher shortage. There's a teacher shortage. There's there's not enough value on our teachers. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about number two. Are we reinforcing that at our homes? Are we making sure that our our children are prepared? Are we creating visions for them? We both he and Dr. Glad just talked about visions and and things that he can see from. Years ago, as, as a young man, he talked about all the great things. He got so passionate because he was able to feel that from his hometown. He was able to say, which is one of the reasons he's getting the key to the city because he's taken that, that what the way that he was groomed, you know, that whole village, you know, takes a village to raise a child. Moss Point has been a village. Your community is your village. You need the people around you to make sure you're successful. Oh, to reinforce the love that you get at home, you need to get that at, at, at school.
0: Absolutely.
1: But then the problem our social determinants now are impacting the lives of children across the country. And there's not as much of a value, more so now than it's ever been, because now the teachers aren't as passionate as they were when we were children, when when, when we were in, sc- in grade school, K-12. through And there's all these different bills that's confusing our parents. There, there's school choice, there's public education reform, there's all these different... Efforts um, that are, are really interfering with with the public school process, and some of them may be good. So I tell people all the time I was a huge advocate for vouchers, in um, the city of Memphis. I was I wrote a lot of articles about it. Mm-hmm. I was a huge advocate, and so people ask me, "Well, are you a vouch- are you an advocate for vouchers and charter schools in Moss Point?" And I tell people all the time, "No." The reason why is because Moss Point don't have the population to be able to support those programs. Mm-hmm. It would be different if we had a pipe. there's a lot of things that I think that, that makes the world turn and education is the foundation. So sometimes it's better to try to fix a system than create something new or try to interfere with that system. So I think about, I think about how do we, when we are we, talking about education, we talked about our visions that we've seen. At the end of the day, we we come to this, this, this pause of how do we really transition our children from K-12 education to actually being the Dr. Eddie Gods or the mayors, or the elected officials, because one thing I'll tell you that, that I hear consistently from multiple people, successful, non-successful, educated, when we go off into the real world, when we hit that that college bracket, we, I was 100% not prepared. Oh. I wasn't prepared when it came, I wasn't as strong of a reader, writer, speller, math, but I focused so hard. That's the grind, I tell you that. Mm-hmm. The adversity hit me again, but mm-hmm. I refused to allow adversity to shut me down when I went to college. So I pushed through, I pushed through. And again, I graduated with a PhD this summer, but the reality is, it took a lot of hard work, way more effort than those who do have that value. Um, where they have played value on those kids in neighborhoods right next door to mine where we couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. And and I want everybody to understand this. People always wonder, what, is it, what does vouchers mean and what does those different bills mean? Well, what it means is is that every child has a number placed on them when they're in the education system. And what I always try to preach to legislators don't make policies for our children that you wouldn't make for your children. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that at Moss Point, because the tax base is so low, much lower than it is in Pascagoula. Okay? Our children are funded less.
0: Right.
1: So if there's, in Maltz Point, each child may have, just for the sake of numbers to keep them small and understanding, there might be, each child in Maltz Point might be worth $5. So if we go over to another city in Biloxi, where they have casinos and industry, just booming industry, each one of those children may be worth $20. Right. So even if there's 100 students, in Ma- 200 students in Moss Point and um, 50 students in Biloxi, the amount the, the amount of investment is still greater. Absolutely, They have better books, right. better technology, better facilities generally, right. And they can pay their teachers more. Exactly. Just in Moss Point to Pascagoula, the teachers make, um, there's a $3,000 pay difference. People might not say that's a lot, but in
0: Mississippi, $3,000 is, and, and, and literally, and skip and a hop from each
1: other. a skip and a hop. That's you, crazy. You can walk the Yes, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> and that's let's not even go on to, you know, you go to Mobile oh, and you go to, you just, let's think about Texas. Mississippi-based, Texas-based, $20,000 difference, $20,000 difference in teacher pay. And I love those programs like Teach for America that bring those teachers in that are passionate I'm so glad that I, I kind of understand now, like, you'd be thinking, like, wh- who came up with this? And then when you got somebody like Dr. Eddie Glottson on the Board of Teachers for America, you have a little bit more cultural competence in
0: those <laughs> organizations. So, you... Well, I resigned pretty quickly, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> well... <laughs> we'll talk about that at some other time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you,
1: those organizations, I, I think about, one of the things I, I, I see that Teach for America does is, they put the teachers in the community before they go into the classroom. And they canvass the neighborhoods, they do these types of things, and I always thought that was a good good segue, yeah. but their teachers still have a large, they have a large turnover of teachers. Exactly. Once they get that two years in, they get that money back, they're gone. And so- It's our
0: students who have to bear the burden of that turnover.
1: Our students, like my teacher, my, I had a principal, you guys, I had a principal that started with me in junior high school. He moved up to the high school when i graduated he gave me my diploma my teachers they were there k through 12 the same teachers and but now these teachers are leaving two years three years and that's hard on our children but the other thing we want to follow up on this is you talked about just the facilities you know and just i'm gonna tell you guys legislative power is is very piss poor in places like mississippi okay and I'll tell you why, so like a municipal government, I have no control over the school system. The only thing that you have to have to be an elected official in the country, anywhere in the country, when it comes down to municipal government, is to be a qualified electorate. Meaning that you just have to be able to vote. You, you know, you said, you said the school have looked the same since you've been there. Yeah. Same thing with me, it looked the same since I've been there. And I graduated in 2006. And so I look at just the, the, the school, and I look at the schools in the neighboring cities, and then I look at the streets. I tell you, you we walk up the street, and we, we driving in zigzags, you know, trying to dodge potholes or trying to, to to avoid signs. That's not unique to Moss Point, but it's right now we're talking about Moss Point. We're talking about the communities around us that are in, right. have deplorable conditions because the dollars are not being spent wisely. The there's no accountability for elected officials. You know they have all these things. Oh, an elected official has to do this statutory requirements, but these
0: elected officials don't know if they can't read it. So I think you know part of part of the challenge of leadership is always always involves right um, walking helping right. How can I put this? Building the kind of consensus ne- necessary for substantive and significant change. Um, oftentimes we can step into a space and we have vision we can see the problem and we know because we can see the problem it might be your superpower right? to come in and step into a space and you can do the assessments you can do the analytics really quickly and you can see the problem and you can imagine what the solution is to the problem fairly quickly but you're in a room where folk can't see it like you see it now the question becomes (laughs) what is your task as a leader in that moment yes how do you then build the requisite consensus not consensus in any strict sense but to get them to see the problem to, just to see it so this is what this is as a, as a teacher this is what i have to do right i have a room full of students and we might be reading some of the most difficult philosophical texts you could imagine I could see the argument. I could see the problem with the argument. I could could pull that string. They can't see it. But I can't jump to the string. I got to get them there so that that we can all have the aha moment together. So, leadership (laughs) is not just simply about you having the native talent to see the problem and to have a solution for it. Leadership is rooted in how do I get these folk around me who can't see it to see it? Where do I spend the energy getting my community to understand that this way of thinking, which is comfortable, that way of thinking, which is what we've been doing for generations, oh, that's the, right, t- that's will stance. not be the way in which we move forward. I know I can't go tell my daddy, Dad, you know, you can't, you got to stop eating pork. Right? You're getting old. And you know that, that, that your diet is part of the reason why you have diabetes. We got to change your diet. Mm. Right? So I stopped eating pork, da-da-da-da. They come, oh, you done got new, Now da da. da, da. Now I got them cooking the greens with tur- smoked turkey as opposed to ham hocks. But it took a minute to get us there. Now I got turkey bacon all up in the refrigerator. Right. You see what I mean? Right. So part of part of what it means to engage in leading the people, right? It presupposes first loving them can't lead them without loving them. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to love them? That means you got to deal with all of the stuff that's going to come at you as you, to guide, as you try to get them to see a vision. It, and, and as you're doing that work, you might hear something come back at you that then changes your vision. Mm-hmm. You might hear something. This comes straight from Ella Baker. Miss Baker, when she was working with SNCC, she used to tell them when they were organizing in the Delta, Mississippi, shut up, you might hear, you might learn something. Turn on your ears, cultivate the habits of listening. How do we move, so the, the real task of leadership in a moment of change, in a moment of transition, is how do you get these people to walk with you, right? Not follow you, but to walk with you. So when you, when, when Stokely was organizing down here, right, I read Carmichael Torre's autobiography, and I'm like, wait a minute, Moss Point. They were down here organizing to to, to desegregate pools. They were down here. What were they doing? They were trying to figure out how to create the conditions under which they could produce leadership that was indigenous to the community. You're not going to be here Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. How do you change the trajectory of the city? How do you change the trajectory of the city? How do you change the way in which the ship has been going? Right? And I think in those moments, if we can get frustrated. We can get frustrated and just say, I'm just call people stupid. Mm-hmm. Just want to turn your back on it. But leadership in this moment, in these times, requires a different kind of habit of concern. A different kind of culture of care, a kind of attentiveness that can walk folk to the space where then they can have the aha moment. Then at that point, Mario, you can teach. And look, look, that was inspirational for me. <laughs> you see, you see that, what I mean this, this, this is, this is this is what it means. This is what I'm talking
1: about. But let me tell you, one thing I preach all the time in the board meetings. I tell people, I love y'all no matter what. Right. They raised me. Right. These people were, rather indirectly or directly had some type of impact on me, they, had, they influenced a lot of the things that I did in my life. And so one of the things that I always tell people is that a lot of times, and especially in municipal government, and that's my focus, that's, that's, my, that's my passion as municipal government, right. is that a lot of times individuals give up. They do. And i tell them all the time state of the cities anytime I'm, i am i'm not giving up on us i'll never give up on us mm-hmm. and it's going to take some tough love mm-hmm. but what what i'll tell you is what i noticed about people here i don't care how mad they can go sandstone crazy by having to pay their water bill but once they pay it they feel achieved they feel accomplished it's a different type of love like you said different type of 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 of, of, of influence and, and a different type of concern but these individuals, I've seen people here, you know, that that thank thank the city hall and thank people that are here for just being nice to them, for being kind to them, and the, the culture here. And I tell we stay in a small community where everybody knows each other, everybody will know and them. even if you don't know them, you do know them some mm-hmm. kind of way. But there is so much love in our community, so much passion. And communities like Moss Point, like I said, we this isn't unique to Moss Point at all. But what I've noticed about our community is sometimes you might have to give them a little tough love, but everybody always return back.
0: Yeah, and I think in, in, it's important in, in a community like ours is that, you know, uh, we have to do something that, that that we typically don't do. And that is we have to open up channels of communication in a way that that really can, can, can bring people along. You know, we live in a community where folk work hard every day. All the time. All the time, and they don't have a lot of a t- lot of attention span to, be, to, 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 to 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 tend to what's going on in municipal government.
1: Absolutely.
0: I don't remember uh, my daddy outside of reading the Mississippi Press, talking about whether or not he was going to vote for Frank Lynn or or Mr. Polk or whomever whomever right. was running <laughs> at the time, right? Um, there were there was some conversation, but you know. They were busy working their behinds off trying Mm -hmm. to raise kids and keep food on the table and keep a roof over folks heads Uh, and so part of what could stand out is just building that communications piece where where you're not in a black box Mm -hmm. in city hall where the maneuvers don't where the where the the changes and the decisions don't come out of nowhere where you trust folk right And, and again at the heart i gave the du bois lectures at harvard and at the heart of the, uh, those lectures uh, was uh, it ended with uh, Miss Ella Baker, and I'm really fascinated with her her understanding of democ- of democratic life, right? And the idea is to create that the kind of citizens that democracies require, to create the conditions under which people you think don't have the capacity to engage in decision making can do it. So they found Miss uh, Miss Hamer. Bob Moses told me the story that they driving to, to 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 register to vote and they knew that they were going into the den of the beast. And folk were scared. And Bob said, I heard this woman, she sang every spiritual that in the book. And then we realized what she was doing. She was calming their spirits. They didn't know who she was. It was Miss Hamer create the conditions under which that leadership bubble up indigenously mm-hmm. so what what can we do my daddy worked in he was a postman he worked in Mississippi heat he sweated out his belts and have time how do we create the communication networks for hard-working people so they can understand the moves you make mm-hmm. and then boom they got you they got you back if you don't tell them what's going on then they're going to gossip like a small town do hmm I agree with you. Look, <laughs> all this, right, this has been
1: absolutely amazing. I, I wish we could talk for three hours about how awesome he is and how awesome our community is. But let me tell you something. What I want you guys to take from this is, is getting rejuvenated is all about um, rebirth, rebuilding, breathing new life into communities so that we can all reach our full potential. That's what it's all about. And I think these are the type of discussions that are, are very difficult sometimes. And even though this discussion may not seem difficult because it was had between two people, Believe it or not, in communities like Moss Point, it's very difficult to have these type of discussions with an uh, entire community. Getting them to think different and feel different, and even leaders like as, as like myself, how do you, ca- you you galvanize a group of people that are all leaders to be able to understand the same problem and be on the same page to be able to solve those problems? And so we hear you, Dr. Ball. We are so excited that today we're giving you a key to the city. I'm you get to pick a day where it'll be you'll be the mayor and you'll be the It'll be your day in the city of Moss Point because the, what you have done is the human capital that you have yourself is unmeasurable, but the human capital that you can pour into un, other people is also unmeasurable, but you build people through your through your knowledge and you share with everybody. And we Thank really, so really appreciate that. And I, look, I, I'm just, I'm excited. And you guys, again, this is, you'll hear this podcast a, a week from now, but let me tell y'all. You can check this out on our Facebook page. That's Mayor Mario King Facebook page, or you can check it out on Mario King's Facebook page. You also can check it out on our YouTube channel or the Get Rejuvenated podcast. Again, share this, tell your friends about it. Again, we have Dr. Eddie Glaw with us today. Thank you guys so much for being the best part of our country, and that's just being an individual. Embrace individuality. Love yourself, love everybody else. Treat people with respect, and have a good day. All
0: right, with thank the you guys. Bye. Get Rejuvenated with the Kings. The Get Rejuvenated with the Kings. kings. So